Welcome to Global Outpouring. I'm Philip Buss. And I'm Sharon Buss. Welcome to our podcast today. You know, in these days, it's so important that we model authenticity. It's the way heaven is. You know, don't you just hate hypocrisy? So here we are once again talking about the importance of truth, the importance of getting over things that aren't true. That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is is pretending to be something that you're not. And Jesus dealt with that with the Pharisees. Matthew 15 talks about it. Philip, would you like to read that for us from the Passion? Then the Pharisees and religious scholars came from Jerusalem and approached Jesus with this question. Why do your disciples ignore the traditions of our elders? For example, they don't ceremonially wash their hands before they eat bread. Jesus answered, And why do you ignore the commandment of God because of your traditions? Mm. For didn't God say, Honor your father and mother, and whosoever abuses or insults his father or mother must be put to death? But you teach that it's permissible to say to your parents when they are in financial need, Whatever gift you would have received from me, I can keep for myself, since I dedicated it as an offering to God. This doesn't honor your father or mother, and you have elevated your tradition above the words of God. Frauds and hypocrites, Isaiah described you perfectly when he said, These people honor me only with their words, for their hearts are so very distant from me. They pretend to worship me, but their worship is nothing more than the empty traditions of men. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, Come, listen and open your heart to understand. Open your heart. Yes. What truly contaminates a person is not what he puts into his mouth, but what comes out of his mouth. That's what makes people defiled. Then his disciples approached him and said, Don't you know that what you have just said offended the Pharisees? <laughs> Jesus replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant is destined to be uprooted. Wow. Stay away from them, for they're nothing more than blind guides. Do you know what happens when a blind man pretends to guide another blind man? They both stumble into a ditch. Peter spoke up and said, Will you explain to us what you mean by your parable? Jesus said, Even after all that I've taught you, you still remain clueless? <laughs> It is hard to understand that whatever you eat enters the stomach only to pass out into the sewer. But what comes out of your mouth reveals the core of your hearts. That's it. Words can pollute, not food. You will find living within an impure heart evil ideas, murderous thoughts, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lies, and slander. That's what pollutes a person. Eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. Wow. So that, that the, gives a whole different light in the Passion Translation. It sure does. It sure does. I'm, I'm interested that at the way that it's put about uh, what you might do for your father, your mother, you're, in the Amplified it says, but you say if anyone tells his father or mother, 
what you would have gained from me, that is, the money and whatever I have that might be used for helping you, is already dedicated as a gift to God. Then he is exempt and no longer under obligation to honor and help his father or his mother. So for the sake of your tradition, the rules handed down by your forefathers, you have set aside the word of God, depriving it of force and authority and making it of no effect. Wow. And, and then uh, the Passion Translation of the scripture in Isaiah that Jesus is referring to says, They come near to me with hollow words and honor me superficially with their lips, all the while their hearts run far away from me. Their worship is nothing more than man-made rules. Mm-hmm. And that's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy has to do with, with uh, you know, just not being real. It's, it's just putting on something on the outside that isn't from the heart. Um, just for a moment, I'd like to talk about these Pharisees and, and where I think they come from. I, I don't, I haven't really read anything scholarly about this, but I just have this, this supposition in my heart. So, you know, if I'm wrong, excuse me, I, I, I'm no scholar on this subject, but, but here's what I think. Um, you know, we read in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and Zechariah. In those books, we're talking about um, the people that returned from Babylon after the Babylonian captivity. They had been in captivity for 70 years because of not keeping God's laws. They hadn't kept the Sabbaths. They had been idolaters. They, you know, they hadn't honored God. And they hadn't taught their children to honor God. And they didn't let the land rest either. Right. That was a big one. That was a big one. And, you know, God gave all of these rules. I mean, he gave, he gave everybody a sabbatical year when they didn't have to work every seven years. They didn't have to till their ground. But they had to trust God that he would provide. And, wow. and so it was a heart thing. It's about, it's about trusting. It's about walking with God. Wouldn't that be nice to have a year off? what would you do with your year off if you didn't have to work yeah yeah that's a good thought that's a good we had a taste of that maybe during this covid (laughs) epidemic (laughs) and you could use this opportunity to get closer to god if you had that opportunity depending what you did right right so jesus said the first and greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Right. So it's about a heart thing. It's a heart thing. And, you know, my take on that part also is that the law, the Torah, the law, the, 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 the 613 commandments were laid out to show us what it looks like, how you behave when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. If you put God first, if you're loving him, it's easy to do those things that are written. And, you know, it just, they, it all makes sense. They, they're, they're all sensible, reasonable loving things but it all comes back to loving God so when the children of Israel came back from Babylon you read in the book of Ezra how they read the whole book of the law they read all of the Torah they read the commandments they read the stories and they they came unglued because they realized how 
badly their forefathers had missed it. Yeah. And they were determined we're going to do this right because we don't want we don't want to go back to Babylon and we don't want our children and our children's children to go back to Babylon. So we're going to do this according to the book. Yeah. And I think in the first generation, they did it with sincere mm-hmm. hearts. Yeah. It's a returning to God. Repenting means to return. You, you are walking with God and something happens that draws you away. You turn away from God. When you repent, you return mm-hmm. You turn back to God. You return. And that's what repent means. So you return to God, and it's about building relationship. So having a relationship with God, he always intended for us to be able to walk with him the way Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, where you're just having this constant communion and special times when you really get get close and, and just talk together. And that's what God intended. But what happens is that that God doesn't have grandchildren. And -hmm. because of the Adamic nature that is bent toward rebellion, it's bent toward walking away from God. It's bent away. We're just just bent that way. We're easily tempted. Mm -hmm. So in the next generation, the parents who had the experience with God they teach their children, their children watch and see what mom and dad did, and they do what mom and dad are doing. But they may or may not have had that kind of an experience that their parents had in that move of God where they really connected with our Father, where they really connected with Jesus. They may have prayed a sinner's prayer, but maybe they haven't cultivated the walk. Maybe they haven't really been discipled from the heart, where they're following from the heart. They're only following what they see being done. They're only, they're listening. They might be listening and obeying because, you know, that's how you train, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. But they might not be departing from it just as a pattern that they're following. And then they have children. And so they try to teach their children what they learned from their parents, but they don't really know why. Mm-hmm. And that, so they can't teach their children why. And when those children go up, they're going, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of fall away. So by the fourth generation, you can have anarchy. And that's what's happened in this country. That's what's happened around the world. Even, you know, every place where the, the move of God has been, there's been a particular attempt by the enemy to try and undo everything that God did. Although you will yeah. find you will find places, I understand that Rochester, New York, where Charles Finney had a tremendous move back in the 1800s, that it's it generally has less crime than most places because it went so deep. Yeah. It went into the culture. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you know it's not enough to have a culture of righteousness. Yeah. You've got to have an experience. Yeah, you can't legislate righteousness. That's the truth. You have to have the Spirit of God behind it. Yeah. Yeah, that we want to legislate righteousness, but it has to be God's way. Right. And, and it's not wrong to have righteous re- legislation, but you can't make people do it from their heart they have to choose to do it from their heart. It's kind of like I'm stand, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. Right? <laughs> yeah, like the little kid. Yeah. <laughs> sit down. I'm not going to sit down. 
sit down. I'm not going to sit down. And then finally, the parent makes the child sit down and the child says, Well, I'm standing up on the inside. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's rebellion. (laughs) Yes. So it's a hard thing. Mm -hmm. And so hypocrisy is this behavior that looks good, but isn't from the heart. So, Philip, would you read for us what Paul says out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 7? Now, please listen, for I need to address an issue. I'm making this personal appeal to you by the gentleness and self-forgetfulness of Christ. I am the one who is humble and timid when face to face with you, but bold and outspoken when a safe distance away. Now I plead with you that when I come, don't force me to take a hard line with you, which I'm willing to do, by daring to confront those who mistakenly believe that we are living by the standards of the world, not by the Spirit's wisdom and power. For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the Anointed One. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you choose complete obedience. You seem to always be looking at people by their outward appearances. If someone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should remind himself of this. We belong to Christ no less than he does. Yes. So what Paul is saying is these people have an idea that isn't true. Mm-hmm. They're, they're saying that Paul is something that he isn't. Yeah. They're saying that, you know, here, here he is, this weak and timid looking guy. When he comes here, he's, he, but really he was coming in sincerity and humility. Yeah. And, and they're thinking that he looks weak and timid. But then in his letters, he's bold. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, what is this? That's, you know, that's kind of, what, what is this? But what he's trying to explain is that we are dealing with something in the spirit that's trying to get us to look like something that we're not. Mm-hmm. That's hypocrisy. And, and uh, it's, it's about looking at people by their outward appearances. We cannot judge people by their outward appearances. How many times have we been fooled by somebody who looks good? You know, somebody who's acting really good in church, and then they get home and they're a hellion. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's not right. And it does happen, you know, especially for the children. You know, you see somebody that's, that's behaving like they're a really good, godly person while they're in church, and then they come home and, and they're abusive, and they speak rough things, and they're you know, they're unkind and, and they're not emulating love. You know, children get the impression of what their heavenly father is like from their father. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why it's so important for fathers in particular, mothers too, but in particular fathers, to have a sincerity in their walk with God so that they can model God's fatherhood to their children. A fatherhood that is just, that is righteous, that is pure in motives, that really loves, that really loves their children and and builds them up and doesn't cause them to be frustrated with trying to keep more rules than what they can keep. You know, focus on one thing, let's get that one down then before we try to do everything. And, you know, beating them silly. Yes, there's a, a place for the rod. Yes, the Bible says so. But there's a there's an order to it that needs to come from love, real love, genuine love. So let's have a look at 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7 in the Amplified Classic. This is Paul talking to Timothy. As I urged you when you left for Macedonia, I'm asking that you remain in Ephesus to instruct them not to teach or follow the error of deceptive doctrines, nor pay any attention to cultural myths, traditions, or the endless study of genealogies. Those digressions only breed controversies and debates. They're devoid of power that builds up and strengthens the church in the faith of God. For we reach the goal of fulfilling all the commandments when we love others deeply with a pure heart, a clean conscience, and sincere faith. Some believers have been led astray by teachings and speculations that emphasize nothing more than the empty words of men. They presume to be expert teachers of the law, but they don't have the slightest idea of what they're talking about, and they simply love to argue. I'm calling up memories of your sincere and unqualified faith the leaning of your entire personality on God and Christ in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness, a faith that first lived permanently in the heart of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm fully persuaded, dwells in you also. So you see, from one generation to the next, it can be passed on Mm -hmm. as long as you teach each generation that you have to do it from the heart. Yeah. This isn't about just doing it. And, and that's what I started to talk about, about the Pharisees earlier, that these people came back from Babylon and they're desperate to do things right so that they don't go back into, into uh, idolatry and, yeah. and that would lead them into captivity. Uh-huh. And so here they are, generation after generation, teaching them to do, do it the way God wants it done. And then they added traditions to it to make it so it's, they, they say themselves, that Jewish people say themselves, that they, that they built a fence around the law to make sure that, that they keep the law, which is inside the fence. And how many generations was it? How many years was it since they came back from captivity to the time of Jesus? Well, it was over 500 years. So how many generations would right. you have in, you know, it's like if, if uh, you're 20 years old, you get married, you have a child. And then when that child's 20, has a child. So you have three generations in 60 years. Right. It's a lot of generations in 500 years. It's a lot it, of passing down. It's a lot of passing down. And, and I, think, I think in the time of the Maccabees, which was uh, not as far removed, but still, you know, probably a, uh, many years. I'm not sure how many years. Uh, there, was, there was a move there to 
restore the temple after it had been defiled by the by Antiochus Epiphanes when he erected a, an idol to Zeus and uh, sacrificed had, a pig. Yeah, and sacrificed a pig to it. Ah, that yeah. really defiles the temple. Yeah. So there was a sincerity, and they they threw them off, and but then they at you know another generation or two later. They reached out to Rome to help them instead of just depending on God. It's about depending on God. But that can only be done out of a heart that loves him. Yeah. You can only depend on him if you love him, really. You can only, it, it's, it's a part of life, you know. So this, this idea of Timothy having this sincere and unqualified faith in in the King James it says your unfeigned faith in other words it's not put on so what does unfeigned mean it's translated it's sincere genuine sincere right so what does feigned mean feigned is simulated or pretended it insincere yeah so it's not sincere and actually the word in the greek you might hear an interesting word in it. It's it's anipokritos. An is the negative. Hypocritos, mm-hmm. doesn't that sound like hypocrisy? Yeah. And it's spelled with an H, but it, the H is silent in Greek. Anipokritos. So it's unpretended or unsimulated. Okay, so simulated. If you do something that's simulated, it's not real. So we want to see an unsimulated or an unpretended faith. That means it's real. Mm-hmm. Unhypocritical would be another way to say it. Hypocritical meaning something that's done only on the outside without being on the inside. Yeah. And it has to be on the inside. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about modeling authenticity, modeling the real true love of God. Like a father modeling fatherhood, mm-hmm. the fatherhood of our heavenly father to the children yes it's about modeling authenticity so we have to have unfeigned faith in other words non-hypocritical faith and unfeigned love non-hypocritical love so in john 13 34 jesus said a new commandment i give to you that you love one another as i have loved you that you also love one another as i have loved you what did Jesus do to show his love for us? He laid down his life for us. That yeah. is modeling authenticity. Mm-hmm. When we lay down our lives for one another. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. And they loved one another. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. And then he said it again in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's the real deal. It's the real thing. You know, we have, I'm, I'm kind of almost embarrassed to say it, <laughs> but we have a hobby. A hobby? Yeah, we have a hobby. Philip and I have a hobby. And it started when Philip was a boy, really. Um, he started out with this little hobby that his grandmother started giving him trains for Christmas. And then as we got older and had a daughter of our own and she was old enough Daddy got out the train at Christmas time and put it around the Christmas tree and and then worked on it a little more the next year and worked on it a little more the next year. And when Sister Gwen passed away and we moved into her house, we suddenly had way more room 
And we were talking about, well, where are we going to put the Christmas tree? And where, where, what are we going to do with the train for the Christmas tree? And, you know, I just said, hey, why don't we just put it up on tables and, and forget, forget the Christmas tree? And let's just <laughs> keep it up all the time and let's just work on it for years. <laughs> and so for eight years, we've been working on it. And, and you know, I kind of have had moments where I'm going, oh, this, this just isn't very spiritual. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, we thought having a hobby is a worldly thing. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we were so driven, ministry-minded. Yeah. You know, everything was all about ministry and nothing else. It's like time off, you know, we didn't really have a lot of time off. We didn't rarely ever take a vacation yeah. Your time off was maybe a day or two out on the road somewhere. Yeah. And that was about it. You know, so we had a whole different mindset. But, you know, it was it was amazing how it just fell into place. So now, now we actually did all of that out of a sincere heart for the Lord. Yes, we did. We, we yeah. weren't we weren't being driven in terms of, of doing something we didn't want to do for yeah. the sake of the Lord. Yeah, and that so that's really really built a lot yeah. of maturity in us in a lot of ways this way. Right. Yeah. But but at the same time, it was all about only that. And and so as I was struggling with, is this really okay? I I came to the conclusion. Well, first of all, tell what it what it's like to to model authenticity in in a, in our train board. Yeah. Well, to model something, you you look at what the the real thing is when it's brand new. It's like your car. You get a brand new car right out of the factory. No scratches, no dents, nothing like that. But a railroad car, when it's new, it doesn't look new for very long, and and it just starts getting dirty and and grease from the wheels, all these things, and and so and, when and you're, they don't power wash them usually. No, they don't. They only wash <laughs> passenger cars, but they don't. They don't. They don't wash freight cars. Right. And so when you're modeling one, you make it look dirty, greasy, grimy. You do all kinds of different things. Maybe with some rust. Some rust on it. You know, use oils or acrylic paints and chalks and and you make it look like it's had a hard life because that's what it really looks like in the real so you're you're modeling something that looks you know trying to get trying to make it look where you can look at it from a distance where you can't tell if it's a model or it's the real thing yes that's the idea and as i as i i really felt like the holy spirit gave me that that this train layout is all about trying to make it look real. We're modeling authenticity. And that's what our lives are meant to be, that we will model the authenticity of the kingdom of God, that we will model the authenticity of the nature and the character of Jesus. So in as much as nobody really, really likes hypocrisy, we have to guard that we don't have it in our own lives. Yeah. And that what we do, you know, we can pray for those who are living as hypocrites. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Jesus' day, by that generation, it had just become following the rules that man had created around the rules that God gave. Mm-hmm. Not about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Yeah. So this is what God is wanting us to do is to come up into this place where we are walking as mature sons 
like Romans 8, 14 talks about, that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God, yes. coming mm-hmm. up into that place of maturity, that we're modeling authenticity, that we're not being hypocritical ourselves. We're modeling Jesus. We're modeling yeah. Jesus. Yes. So what does James three thirteen through 17 say in the Passion, Philip, to wrap this up? If you consider yourself to be wise and one who understands the ways of God, advertise it with a beautiful, fruitful life guided by wisdom's gentleness. Never brag or boast about what you've done, and you'll prove that you're truly wise. But if there is bitter jealousy or competition hiding in your heart, then don't deny it and try to compensate for it by boasting and being phony. Phony. For that has nothing to do with God's heavenly wisdom, but can best be described as the wisdom of this world, both selfish and devilish. So wherever jealousy and selfishness are uncovered, you will also find many troubles and every kind of meanness. But the wisdom from above is always pure, filled with peace, considerate, and teachable. It is filled with love and never displays prejudice or hypocrisy in any form. And it always bears the beautiful harvest of righteousness. Good seeds of wisdom's fruit will be planted with peaceful acts by those who cherish making peace. Wow, I like that. God's seeds of wisdom. Beautiful. God's seeds of wisdom's fruit planted in us. And that's what it that's what that seed is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the parable of the of the sower or of the parable of the soils is mm-hmm. a better way to say it, because it's about the soil and that seed that's produced. And so when we have the seed impregnated in us, you know, when it's germinated and it's fertilized and watered right, it's gonna grow. Beautiful. Amen. And it's gonna grow true wisdom, true sincerity, the true character of Christ the true kingdom of God being modeled on the earth, modeling the authenticity of heaven. Let's have that instead of hypocrisy. Amen. Amen. (laughs) God bless you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the podcasting platform suggest this podcast to other listeners who are also looking for a great move of the Holy Spirit. Check out our website at globaloutpouring.org to find out more information, read our blogs, connect with us, and donate. You can also browse our web store for life-changing anointed books. Until next time, this is Sharon Buss. And I'm Philip Buss. God bless you with his overwhelming, loving presence.